Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 249 of Final Fantasy Union. I'm your host, Daryl, and I am here with Lauren. Hi, everyone. Oh, look at that. That is some happiness. I'm a happy, happy loan. I'm a happy, happy, happy loan. Yeah, no, um, (laughs) I just can't believe that we're like so close to 250, like 250 is going to be the next one. Yeah. And like, that means that 300 is going to be closer than it is further from us. That's true, but that's also going to be like a year and a half away. I know, but still, I just feel like so much is happening. It is happening. Like, mm. it is crazy to think that we are so close to 250 episodes. Yeah, it, it feels like we only did the 200th episode. Like, but it's also taken us like ago. 13 years to get to this point, <laughs> which is which is crazy. Yeah, you know, we're we're slow burners. We are. I mean, we have we have had different release schedules throughout the years. Sometimes mm. I, I remember in the earlier days we were once a month. Mm. We, I feel like we maybe went to once a week at one point but i don't i yeah I think, I think i'm making that up i think it's like we've always been we did um well we was switching there was three up. week we there was mm. we had four weeks we definitely had a three-week rotation yeah and i think two-week rotation is the the highest frequency we've ever had mm-hmm. yeah because we were doing um gaming union the gaming union so KHU, chat. Yeah. um mini gup mini gup that's it and um then uh FFU. FFU. There was also Live Wear Network as well, which yep. is another show. And GMFM. Yeah. Back in the old podcasting. So days. many things. So many podcasts. I know. It's just it's just mad. Um, but here we are. Here we are. Here we are indeed. And today we're actually going to be talking about the craziness of E3. It's gonna be a whole E3 Bonanza podcast. <gasps> Bonanza. But before we kind of give you an overview of what we're gonna be talking about, I have a special message. Because today's episode of Final Fantasy Union is sponsored by Edge of Eternity, a brand new JRPG that's now available on PC via Steam, Epic Game Store, and Good Old Games. Edge of Eternity has been developed by a small indie team called Midgar Studio and is published by Dear Villagers. It's heavily inspired by Final Fantasy and other classic JRPGs, and it even has a soundtrack that features contributions from Yasunori Mitsuda, the legendary composer who worked on Chrono Trigger and Xenoblade Chronicles, as well as Miyun, a French vocalist who does amazing covers on YouTube. So if you're looking to explore a new world and story with a modern take on the classic ATB system, then be sure to check out Edge of Eternity. It's so nice of Dear Villagers to sponsor the episode uh, and to get us to talk about Edge of Eternity because mm. we did play it on stream a little bit and uh, the the intro was really cool. Mm. Um, the ATB system, they've ad- how they've adapted it is really cool as well. So yeah, if you are kind of in the in the hunt for a new JRPG, then I would I'd, I'd recommend checking it out. Yeah, um, but also I'd like to say the fact that like someone like Mune is going to be it has done like vocals for yeah. it it's just so awesome because we remember way back when when like type zero was coming out she was doing a lot of covers of like songs from type zero and stuff and it's just so cool to see someone like that who is a fan of of like jrpgs and such to be represented on something like this yeah, for doing what she's do- doing and honestly if you haven't heard any of her covers you have to go listen to them she does like french versions of um songs from final fantasy and near and all sorts and she just has such a gorgeous voice she does so yeah today's episode is going to be focused around e3 and there was obviously a big game reveal stranger of paradise 
We're also going to talk about the Pixel remaster and overall impressions of the press conference. And if we have time, we're also going to delve a little bit into Final Fantasy VII Remake episode intermission, <laughs> which I was able to play around launch. Aren't before we lucky get duck. on to everything, yeah, I am incredibly lucky. <laughs> um, before we do also get onto that, I also want to say that we are launching a newsletter called Wark Digest. Lauren's bringing amazing it back. name. Yeah, bringing it back. We haven't been providing news coverage on our website for a very long time, and we're looking to redo the website at some point. But until that happens, we thought it would be prudent of us to create a newsletter. So once a week, I think it's going to be sort of every Friday evening stroke afternoon, uh, Chris and I will curate the biggest stories that are happening in Final Fantasy and and highlight cool things that are happening in the community and send out an email so you get a nice little blast. Hmm. So if you want to subscribe to that, if you head to finalfantasyunion.com, there will be a news story kind of either before or after this podcast entry on, on the homepage. Go do it. Yes. All right, now it's time to read out our Patreon shout-outs, Lauren. And Yay. we're going to kick things off with Lewis James at LJ Composer. Zach Duranto. Rachel Casterton at Drunken Vieira. Barry Norton at Nortron Zero. Zelda Clone at Apes Type Novels. Joseph Rapperson at Pokemon Trainer J. Alex and Rachel Troutman at Akira Namejin. Miles Ribbons. Billy Jackson at underscore Billy Jackson. Thurin Bullen at Massacre23. Tom Hughes at Tom underscore Hughes22. Yam Potato. Noah Latrell. Ryzen, Sam Ennis, Chris Willis, Fayaz Bilal, Joshua Johnson at The Cancer Bus, Freya Stella, Lauren Luscombe, Marco Lilu, Timmy Turner's Babysitter, and Darren Matthews at Doomster73. Thank you so much, everybody. I should just read Timmy Turner's Babysitter out as, like, Timmy Turner sometimes. I have to see how to just, do his uh, voice. All right. Hi, I'm Timmy Turner. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Just, just Good job, Lauren. bust out that little thing. It's Tara, it's on brand, isn't it? It's Tara Strong, I believe, who does Tibby Turner. So Riku. you know, it's it's all cool. It's all bananas. All right. Well, you you. Uh, I'll work on that. You do some work on with that, yeah. all my free time. I will work on my Timmy Turner <laughs> <laughs> impression. But yeah. All right. So yeah, today's main focus is talking about E3, and um, we're going to kick things off actually with the game that everyone knew. What well, uh, everyone. I guess new, but also hoped, I don't know, it, it was heavily rumored beforehand that there was going to be a new game revealed called Final Fantasy Origin. It was going to be a Souls-like game that was being developed by Team Ninja. And that was revealed during mm. the E3 press conference for Square Enix right at the end of the conference. It's been called Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin, which I'm... I'm not too sold on that name at the moment. I keep wanting to call it Strangers in Paradise. Because well, it, there's three of them. Why yeah. is it singular? <laughs> strangers. And why is it a Stranger of Paradise? Mm. I, I just know. keep thinking of like Stranger Things. Yeah. And, and like the subtitle, I guess they've got to have the subtitle in there to make it Final Fantasy. Mm. And anyway, we'll get over the names up. So basically, yeah, it is a game uh, being developed by Team Ninja. It is a game. It is a game. Um, the person who came up with it and the creative producer, whatever, is uh, Nomura, as he is with everything. And it's being written by uh, Nojima. But the actual director of the game is uh, Inoue, who is the director, current director of Opera Omnia. And he is being joined by Fujiwara, who is the current producer of Opera Omnia, which... I think in the initial sense, I 
I have a theory about this. Okay, which, what's which your theory? May, which may I, I I thought about this last night. Could this be the end of Opera Omnia? Mm. Because, and I I know that people are probably listening, thinking, but it's doing really well, Daryl. They're going through some a lot of stuff in the moment, but. I would say that it it kind of mirrors what happened with Mobius because mm-hmm. the two people that were leading Mobius were Toriyama and Hamaguchi. Yep. And they were gradually moved off to work on the Seven remake and then they just shut Mobius down. Yep. I don't know what's going to happen with Opera Omnia, but I, it could be that Inoue and Fujiwara are going to do both projects, but mm-hmm. it never really works that well when people are splitting their time between multiple things, as shown by... Nomura and being kind of all over the place <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it's true it could be it could uh, mark the end I mean Opera Omnia has been going on for a long time I don't Four know years, what the yeah. I don't know what the story is like at the moment like what what the characters are sort of going through if there is a sign of like the ending it does I seem like so. um I was talking to Chris last night and he was mm-hmm. saying actually they're kind of going through quite a massive event at the moment mm. but like it does it does seem to be very interesting the fact that like you know if they if they are going through this trend like the end of kind of a lot of their gacha games or their um sort of um mobile games that they've had a lot of focus on um i mean granted i i i guess it must be very hard to have to keep mobile games going um i think i mean i've I've been doing a lot of research around the the mobile games uh in recent times especially with the evolutions videos and stuff I've, I've been trying to get myself more familiar with them and it is quite interesting because i know that there is a perception that games like record keeper brave exvius and opera omnia do well mm-hmm. um and i it's hard to get performance outside of japan but in japan they're not very well performing games. Are they like, not? The, the best performing games for uh, Square in Japan are Dragon Quest Walk, um, the uh, Romancing Saga, I think it's Reuniverse, and mm. War of the Visions. Like they are the those games are in like the top ten performing mobile games yeah. for gross this year in Japan. And I like does it make sense for them? I mean, like they probably want to keep these games going as long as they have a degree of profitability around them. Yeah. But also, I guess there has to come a point, like there was with Mobius, where they just say, "Okay, it's making us money, but like, is it worth the money it's making us? Is, yeah. Could we focus on something else that's going to make us more?" And I, I wonder if that's kind of there are a lot of a lot of these older games that are kind of they're not the flavor of the month so much anymore. There's a lot of people that are still invested in them for sure mm-hmm. uh there are people that still play record keeper and i think brave exfis is going through another celebration at the moment they announced that during the the conference because it's hit another download milestone <laughs> but downloads don't equal revenue yeah and like it's great that they've got the downloads i think 50 million or was it 45 like it was it was quite a, like a very high number for brave exfis but yeah yeah you know, in japan it's brave exfis is not making more money than more of the visions yeah War of the Visions is like the real like primary game that they're focusing on. And that doesn't make anywhere near as much money as the Dragon Quest game in Japan. Yeah. I think Dragon Quest Walk has made, I think, around 700 to 800 million dollars. So it's almost mm-hmm. like it's, it's closing on a billion dollars. Yeah. For a mobile game. Yeah. Which probably cost them nowhere near that much to make. But anyway, massive segue there. Um I, I'm not saying that it will be the end of Opera Omnia. I'm just saying it's a bit... It might. It, it, it's, it's a bit odd that the, the two people that are working on Stranger, Stranger of Paradise 
are the two people that were leading Opera Omnia. Mm -hmm. They could be looking to transition it to a new leadership team, which is, you know, it's been going four years. There's bound to be people on the Opera Omnia staff who know how to run this game and can do it effectively. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, when you think about it, like Nojima especially is kind of somebody who has, he he has a lot of use or he's just, um, he's, he's, He's really good at what he does as far as like sort of um, uh, organizing stories and stuff. He's very integral. He's involved with like so many of the games that I love. And so like, yeah, to have him locked down to a game, um, particularly a, a mobile game, like when they took him off of Mobius as well, like it's just, you know, yeah, maybe they are moving forward. Was Nojirom Mobius? I believe he was. That was Toriyama, yeah. wasn't it? I believe Nojima was on it. Um, Nojima. I know he did Dissidia NT. I don't think he worked on Opera Omnia. Uh, but obviously, like, Nojima was yeah, working on the Seven Remake. Yeah, he was the remake. scenario writer on Mobius. Oh. Yeah. So he's been doing... Just bump, Lauren. Yeah. He's been doing a lot. Like, he's... Um, but he's he's very... Um, he's very sort of um, integral, I think, is yeah. the word I'm looking for. I mean, like, on the subject of Nojima, that is also something that... that concern me a little bit because yeah he is supposed to be obviously working on the remake yeah as one of the principal writers on that um but he's also working on this game well i imagine i guess part of his job with the remake is probably done well i mean they've got all the other parts to write yeah but i mean like they'll there'll be breaks won't they while they're working like, I on guess the so, second part but i think if anything i mean i don't know what the process has been like this time versus no the one last knows what time. the process is yeah. <laughs> they keep it so secret <laughs> but like um you know i can imagine they're doing lots of rewrites to the script mm. all the time to try and figure out like if there's there's more tweaks they want to make changes yeah. they want to make yeah. it doesn't sound like the remake part two is coming out anytime soon either yeah possibly um but you never know like we'll we'll never know we'll the never inner know. workings if only we could set a little robot fly into <laughs> square enix's offices but even then we would not understand because we do not speak japanese yes but anyway so. yes yeah, so um <laughs> I, I the main reason in and fujiwara have been moved over from opera omnia or are still working on opera omnia alongside this project is because opera omnia is developed by team ninja mm. and this game is being developed by team ninja as well and i guess they had the choice of do we move over um Kujiraoka who and uh, hazama who worked on Dissidia nt to oversee this game or do we move over the opera omnia team to work on this game Dissidia mm. nt did not have the best of reputations and i'm i'm i i'm I mean, I'm feeling part of the decision was around that. Like, if if yeah. there has there was when the room was announced, there was a lot of trepidation that the Decidia NT team was going to be working on this game, mm-hmm. and that filled people with dread. <laughs> Poor Decidia <I> <laughs> NT people. I mean, that's just it's, it's just what it is. Like, you know, the game has an audience, but I yeah. think like for the for the wider perspective of Decidia NT, that it is considered a bit of a, a, a bit of a, a flop, a bit of a flop. Yeah. Um. And so there was a lot of kind of like initial uh, with the rumors and stuff. There was like some downplaying oh, of it no. saying like, you know, Team Ninja don't really operate that way anymore. They have like a more of a flat structure. They don't really have teams. Mm. So um, there will be some people that worked on Dissidia and T that are working on this game, but also people that work on Ninja Gaiden. And also <laughs> I Neo love how it's like come to that, though, where it's just kind of like rumors <gasps> need to be like, oh, controlled. no, like, no, not that team, not that team. No, like Square Enix had like there's just these teams that you just don't want to be used on it's a shame though right because i i always think about um 
Front Mission Evolved, mm -hmm. another Square Enix property. It was developed by a company called Double Helix, I think. And that was not a well-received game. Yeah. But then they went on to make Killer Instinct, which was like really highly regarded mm. on Xbox. Yeah. You never know. Like a company, studios will make bad games. Like they, they won't all... The CD Project Red. <laughs> like, come on. Like, you know, you never, you never know. However, however, <laughs> this game does not look to the standard of what we expect from Square Enix. Yeah, I mean, after watching Stranger Power, I think with the rumor coming out so early, yeah, I think that really ruined it. I think a lot of us like were a bit worried about about kind of initially when it was coming out mm -hmm. but then when they announced that they were doing a Soulsborne like action RPG kind of like Neo I was thinking you know this could really work it's like a complementary genre if they yeah. get it right and like really bring like really ham up the Final Fantasy and make it a Final Fantasy Soulsborne game mm. that could be a really really nice opportunity to like branch out into something new yeah but what they showed was not like a Final Fantasy styled Soulsborne game. It was a like a really dark, brutal, gritty game that had Final Fantasy elements yeah. put into it. And a tower a tower like climbing yeah. game. Because like that was the thing. Like that's part of the essence of of Neo was not necessarily the fact that you were like it there there was the difficulty, but there was also the places and how different the places. And when I think about like Demon Souls and Bloodborne and stuff, you think about like there's different parts of the map, different parts of the experience that are just a bit like styled differently, or there's different types of enemies and stuff. And it just kind of feels like I, well, there again, I don't know because like the if if we compare this trailer to the guardians of the galaxy trailer the guardians of the galaxy trailer was focused on one part of the game and that then they just showed the whole gameplay thing of this this could be one small part yeah we don't know of the game that like they just wanted they felt was clear enough in order to show off right now because i mean i guess when you think about the first final fantasy you do. You go and fight. You go and fight Garland as one of the first things you do. You go to um, the castle and then you fight him, and then you go and you get to explore. But the tower all the is places. not the first thing you do. Yeah, the the big tower is not it's the like first the last thing you, thing you do. Yeah, but it might it might you know it might who knows. We don't know anything. No. Basically, we don't know anything about the game, and, but it's, like, and it's really hard to. I think on that basis, yeah. it's really hard to like be judgmental around it. It is. But all I know is that like it. It's become a meme, which is not what any game... Like, in a bad way. Yeah. Which is not what any developer wants. Like, the, the public reception to the game has been really negative. Mm -hmm. I think most of the trailers have, like, at least 60-70% dislikes now. And, like, it started off as a bit of a joke because the characters saying chaos... The characters look so generic. Yeah. Like, it's hard for me to believe that these characters were designed by Nomura. And, yeah, yeah, like... Because part of the thing about Nomura is the fact that, like, his characters look really good. Like, you compare this to the trailer for, um, the trailer for Versus 13. Like, Versus 13 looked gorgeous, even in the first instance. And there was, like, this really... And that was, like, dark. Intense and... music and, like, this type of thing. That's what they should have done with this. Like, I think they're really taking a, a, a misstep by... I. It, it's hard, isn't it? Because, like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. 
the games, uh, the the public is really also making it very difficult for people to actually show off games because they do a CG trailer where it's like really crisp and clean and looks really pretty and fantastical. And then people complain because there's no sh- there's no showing of gameplay. But then they do a more gameplay focused trailer and then people complain because it doesn't look pretty. It's like what like what can we yeah and i think that's part you know? of the problem here like is people saying it looks like a ps3 game yeah and it's like it's uh, it's really early development footage it is. and 16 had the same problem but i think the issue is is that these as much as like companies get chastised for those initial stuff it's it's better to do a cg trailer that represents the game as best as it can yeah and then kind of go from there than to show a trailer that does not show the game as best as it can and try and build up from that point. Yeah. Because those first impressions do matter. And like the first impression of Stranger of Paradise now is, okay, this game doesn't really look or feel like a Final Fantasy game. It doesn't really look that great. And the guy really wants to kill chaos. Yeah. (laughs) He really does want to kill chaos. Um, But yeah, it's, it's it's just really hard. But I do think... One, the fact that it was leaked really hurt it as well because everybody got expectations about it. And um, yeah, like, I mean, because everybody has said like it's um, it's a reimagining. I mean, I, I can't remember if they say it exactly in the trailer that it's a reimagining of Final Fantasy 1. But, no, like, they've made it really ambiguous. Like the fact that everybody has said that they've had expectations of seeing the Warrior of Light. Which, like, in my eyes, would have been a much better decision. Uh, but, like, that's the thing. So- or at least have people, like, because that's the thing. Like, Final Fantasy One, the Warrior of Light was made for Dissidia. Yeah. He wasn't in the original game in that visual style. Yeah. Even though all kind of, like, the original um, artwork was kind of, there's different interpretations of the Amino artwork. Um, but, like... The characters are wearing generic clothes. It's probably for story reason. But even yeah. the job class outfits that they wear throughout the trailer, they're just all black. Yeah. Like, it's it's unless you like look at the specific weapons and details, it's hard to tell when he's a warrior, apart from the fact he's got a massive sword on his back, yeah. when he's a black mage or where he's a dragoon. Like, the original... like, And that's what I was saying about earlier. About I, I was hoping that it was going to be a Final Fantasy game yeah. that exhibited souls born or souls like traits yeah so that means like if you've got a warrior he's like in like full red get up yeah like if you're a black mage he's wearing the original black mage pauldron if you're a white mage then you're wearing like the white robes like all these things are already kind of there set established it doesn't need to be reinvented but then i guess it comes back to the fact that square enix is very insecure about what they are they're very insecure about their brand. They don't think people want that. They think that this is what people want because this is what sells a lot of games. And so they're going based off of that. They're they're abandoning their original brand for something that they think might appeal to a wider audience. Yeah. But then the other issue is and like this is where it's like it's kind of, you know, I don't I don't want to bring in like this type of issue all the time because i do think that sometimes it gets a bit much but like final fantasy games are known for their really strong women characters like 
every single Final Fantasy that has a really strong story has a really strong, like, woman character in it. And, like, Final Fantasy XV, I could overlook. I could, like, say, okay, you know, that's fair enough. Like, um, they they wanted to do a bros story. And even Final Fantasy XVI, like, they didn't show enough to us to know that, like, whether or not there is actually going to yeah, be a woman character. But there, they did show Shiva a bit. And, you know, she's actually going to be an integral role, it seems like, uh, in the storyline. But, like, this this story doesn't seem to have any women characters there was a woman doing there was a, a woman doing some narrating but that is a problem that is an issue because like it's it doesn't it doesn't feel like the final fantasy that i know and yeah love. and i think that's after i watched the trailer uh we were doing like a live reaction and i was just kind of like i don't really know what to make of this it yeah. just it made me feel uncomfortable yeah honestly like i I've never, like, I, I play a Final Fantasy game. It's a bit of escapism. I don't really want to play a character who's just burning angry. with rage and yeah. angry and just wants to destroy everything. Like, that's generally the person you're trying to stop. <laughs> yeah, or it's as a or it's as a joke. Like, uh, what's his name in Grand Theft Auto Five? Uh, yeah, like, yeah, like it's just he's just like, hilarious. Like, could you imagine like the the protagonists that we've had over the years, like Cloud, Cecil? Mm. Like, I mean, Cecil. Like, even when Cecil was a Dark Knight, he was still kind of like nice. Yeah, like, like it's people who are like, like respected. Yeah, like, you like, don't respect somebody who's I, I don't just angry be, all the time. Oh, I need to kill chaos, and like the that he's like going around like die already, and like you know there will be there will be times when characters are going through emotional moments, but that just seemed like a normal thing he was saying during the combat yeah he's like ripping monsters heads open yeah and like, which made it look a lot like like devil may cry like it's devil may cry yeah like it's fantasy and that's why it, it it made me feel uncomfortable that, that this is being considered a final fantasy game because this is not yeah how i expect final fantasy to be represented yeah yeah i think i think namora has a lot of rage well, he said he 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 envisioned this game because he had a game that he wanted to create after making Dissidia, Geodesum, yep. and he was also working on another game where he wanted to write a an angry protagonist. He yep. just thought it'd be really cool to write a protagonist who's just burning with anger and rage. All right, <laughs> he just has he baby has a lot of rage. Yeah. Baby has to get that out. Let's let let's let Demora get his get his anger out. I mean, the other bad thing that happened, obviously, was the demo. It was supposed to go live the day of the the yeah. announcement. It, the demo corrupted. I mean, I, I don't know if that's like a sign. No, <laughs> no, I hope not. They're desperately trying to fix it, yeah. but like, I mean, it's hot. Like, I, I think the demo will answer a lot of questions in terms of like, is it actually going to play okay? Yeah. Does the story have more? to it than this guy this wanted to call chaos <laughs> this guy are angry and i guess we'll have to wait and see how mm. how it pans out because I, I, it's supposed to be coming out next year mm-hmm. they've got time to fix i think that's kind of what's filling me with hope they've got time to try and fix this yeah they've put the demo out because they want to get feedback which kind of makes me feel as though they weren't really sure how it was going to be received as well yeah because why would they be actively looking for feedback in that regard yeah the only other time they've done that to my mind is episode Dusk Guy when Tabata was like, I really don't know how people are going to feel about this because of what happened with Versus yeah. 13. We need to get some feedback. But I love how it's just always, it's just always, it's always Nomura's fault. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's always just like, you know, um, it's always that he's, he, he's, he's at the forefront and then it's just kind of like, yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, right. Nomura. But um, yeah, um, other than that. Yeah, other than that, there's, there was other stuff that happened throughout E3, which we're going to talk about in a second, because I just need to remind everyone that today's episode is sponsored by Edge of Eternity. Now, at the start of the episode, we spoke about the game's sources of inspiration. But for this segment, we wanted to talk a bit more about the game's depth and world. So you take charge of a main character called Darian, who's a young man who wields a rather large two-handed sword, who, after experiencing a series of traumatic events, has to face his destiny and embark on an epic journey that will change the fate of Herion forever. But Darion isn't alone in this quest. There are numerous characters that will join the party, and there are plenty of NPCs encountered along the way, each with plenty of charisma, like Troy, who we met in my playthrough, who's a bit of a blabbermouth. The combat is inspired by the ATB system used in older JRPGs like Final Fantasy VII and Chrono Trigger, but it's been enhanced to allow for movement around the battlefield, and it has a free-flowing camera so you can get a better view of the action. There's also a comprehensive crafting system with over 120 different items to craft, and you can befriend a Nekaru, an adorable beast that you can ride around the open world as you look to complete quests. If that sounds interesting to you, Edge of Eternity is now out on PC, and it can be purchased on Steam, Epic Game Store, and Good Old Games. All right, Lauren. So next up, we have the Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster Collection. Mm-hmm. So this came, came right after the Guardians of the Galaxy segment, right? They yeah. just kind of threw this in there. It was like a, like a twenty second segment. They said we're re- we're we're re-inve- uh, reimagining, reenvisioning. I don't know whatever it was. The first six games in the franchise with the Pixel Remaster, and they did this trailer, and I think. I mean, you and I, when we were watching, I think most of the people were watching with us, we didn't actually realize that what they were showing us in that trailer was the Pixel Remaster. Because <laughs> it didn't look any different, really, than the original games. Yeah. It's very confusing. It's only since the trailer's been out that people have actually like gone through frame by frame and thought, actually, no, these sprites actually do kind of look different to the original sprites that were used. I think... RPG site have done comparisons between the new sprites and then the dimension sprites and then the older sprites as well. And like, I don't know about it. Yeah, um, it's just it's just weird that they decided to just not really show anything. Yeah, I think based on what happened at the Dragon Quest event where they announced they were doing a 2D HD remake of Dragon Quest 3, I think it is. As soon as the thing came up saying they were doing a new collection of Final Fantasy 1 through 6, that is immediately what people were thinking that was going to be. A, a new, like, re-envisioned suite from 1 through 6 in this 2D HD style. And then they showed that it's going to be a slight pixel remaster, and it was kind of like, uh, okay. Mm. And then at the end of the trailer, they announced that it's only going to be releasing on mobile and Steam. Yeah. Yeah. And I think all of the, like, everyone on consoles was just like, why? What? Like, this seems perfect for the Switch. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's absolutely the perfect game to release on Switch because it's like, you know, you can go in and out of it. You can, um, you, you can, it, it's just, yeah, it's just tailor-made. JRPGs are tailor-made for Switches and they already have a lot of them on there anyway. It's um, just hard because, like, yeah. we're, like, it. I always feel like we come across as that entitlement thing. Of like, you know, we, we're expecting things and ultimately it's their decision to make what they want. But 
sometimes the decisions they make just leave you banging your head against the wall. <laughs> like, I mean, like, if you look at the sprite comparisons, it seems as though for five and six, instead of using the original games or the, the Game Boy Advance, like, as a reference, they have used the Final Fantasy Dimensions assets, which everyone just doesn't like yeah they've used them as the inspiration for these so they've turned those dimension assets into pixel sprites yeah which like is just kind of like i don't know who decide i mean i don't know like i'm kind of lost for words with that one (laughs) and then if you look at the final fantasy 4 one they've put up Instead of using the PSP version as a base, which looks gorgeous, like the pixels in the the PSP version of Final Fantasy IV look amazing. Yeah. They've used the Game Boy Advance version, and it feels like they've kind of made it worse. Like, (laughs) it it doesn't really look better. Yeah. And, like, the Final Fantasy I version that we've seen, they've... Again, it, it doesn't look better than what was already on the PSP. Yeah. And like, if anything, like they, they've like the dimensions are all wrong. It feels as though with a lot of the characters, they've taken out a lot of the shading in the pixel, the sprites. So the, the color schemes have become quite monochromatic. Like the hair, they used to be like in um, in Lena and Faris, they used to have like a lot of de- um, variation in the hair color and stuff. Yeah, and Terra as well. Like, it's kind of gone. Yeah, it's just one one color. You only like, got one note. Yeah, like it, <laughs> it, it just, like you got. It just yeah. like of all the ways that again, it's just like with the Stranger Paris, in all the ways that I think people expected the this to be done, mm-hmm. this is not it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it, it is really a shame. Like I mean, Daryl and I were talking about this before, and like the fact that you know, Record Keeper is the most recent interpretation of these pixelated characters. Why didn't they just like? I mean, obviously, they might, well, they might have a um, thing with Dina with the assets, but it's, like, it's their assets, like, it's their characters. I would thought that they would be able to, like, buy them off of them and save themselves a lot of work if that was the case. I I don't know. I don't know. But I think it is, it is, it is a real, it's a real issue between Square Enix and the community, like, they don't really know what their community wants and it just constantly feels like they're shooting in the dark. Yeah. They're just shooting in the dark. They don't, they're guessing what we want, but not and actually just, asking I think, us. I think that kind of is a shame for me is that you look at that Dragon Quest event they did for the 35th anniversary. I saw nothing but positivity about that. Yeah. All of the announcements they made were met with really, like they obviously announced Dragon Quest Twelve. Mm-hmm. They announced they were doing Dragon Quest Ten offline. They announced the uh, Dragon Quest 2D HD um, game. They announced two new spin-offs for Dragon Quest. And like, I didn't see any real negativity yeah. about it. I just saw like, I really want to check out Dragon Quest Three now. Yeah, I'm really excited to see this new direction for Dragon Quest Twelve. And maybe I'll check out Dragon Quest Ten offline. Yeah. Like, Whereas for Final Fantasy, it's just like, okay, so here's a here's a Soulspawn spin-off that doesn't really look anything like a Final Fantasy game. And here's a Pixel remaster that looks marginally better. I don't know if it looks better than the original or not. Yeah. The only positive that I can see out of the Pixel remaster, well, two, actually. One, you will have the option of not having to play the Dimensions graphics versions of 5 and 6. <laughs> yeah. And two, Final Fantasy 1 and 2 will become available to play on PC. Mm-hmm. And you won't have to, again, you won't have to play the 3D version of 3 as well if you don't want to. Yeah. So like that, 
but it's like that they they shouldn't be positives. Yeah. <laughs> the only re- like this helps you not play those versions. Like that that shouldn't be a positive. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I know. I know. It's just it's just hard. It's really hard to see. I feel yeah. as though like this E3 was the problem in general though. But yeah, and then like somebody else actually mentioned and I think like it's fair enough. I think it was actually Brianna Brianna White um mentioned and it's something that i didn't really think about is the fact that like we it's really easy to be critical however consider the fact that we've all been through a pandemic and this is worldwide and like you know a lot of the people have who have been putting these stuff this stuff together have been doing it from home and so you know this E3 was never going to be put together because of that. Like, because it's, yeah. because it's just been so hard for everybody to get everything done. But I think done. that's also, um, it been exacerbated by the fact that because everyone's been having such a hard time, E3 was really built up to be mm. the thing where, like, people could have something to look forward to. Mm. And, like, I feel as though most of the publishers kind of missed the mark there. Like, all of the press conferences have just been reiterating what's already happening no Mm. one really made any big game announcements i think each press conference maybe had one but most of them were just like this is a thing that's happening already that you knew about here's a slight update on it yeah and like that was the same for for ubisoft that was the same for capcom that's the same for square enix Mm. like the summer games fest at the start was slightly different because that wasn't part of e3 and they had Elden ring at the end of that and and some other cool games but like you know, Microsoft was a bit. Um, it was a, updates about existing games. There were a couple of teasers for new games as well, but it just felt like a bit flat in comparison to to what it would normally be at E3. Mm-hmm. And I know that Sony not being there doesn't help either, because they normally do some big announcements too. Mm-hmm. But they're just doing their own thing now, and I think that's probably part of what it's going to be because like when we were looking at the Square Enix press conference, it it felt as though the structure was just odd. Like Guardians of the Galaxy, they spent a really, really long time on. Yeah. Probably longer than they should have done. Yeah, it it got to a point where it was just like, this is weird. Why are we still talking about it? Also because we were watching the DMCA one where they didn't, they forgot to put music in. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, I think they did it, they did it right by that perspective. They tried it out because they, they were trying to think about like, us twitch streamers they put music in some parts but not others and then the bits where it wasn't it just kind of felt a bit it's really like it's really more of a problem with twitch yeah exactly than it was the people who were putting it together which is a shame um but yeah i think yeah it's just expectation is obviously what's the problem around this stuff and you know the fact that there was like no 14 yeah no 7 remake no 16 they all had like five second segments right at the end of the trailer that put a bit of a dampener on things there was no dragon quest obviously because they just had the dragon quest conference but like not everyone watched that because it was a dragon quest specific conference Mm. and like i don't know it just it was it was very much like what square have done in recent years where they've chosen to prioritize their western games for e3 yeah and chosen not to talk really about any of their japanese games yeah and i don't know why they choose to do that they think that that's what they they just want to keep it separate they just they just are really are really stuck in their ways about that 
But then the main focus was around Guardians of the Galaxy, the Avengers, and Life is Strange. Hitman mobile game. Yeah. Like it's um Yeah. But then also like I guess when do the Western titles get the opportunity to actually show off their games as well? Because TGS is not gonna be about the Western titles. You know, like when else would they would they have the opportunity to show it? It's like it's the fact that Square Enix is such a big, such a, a huge, like, conglomerate. Like, it just, I don't think there's many, there's many Japanese companies that I know that have such a separation between its fan bases in that regard. No. You know, like, it's, I think it's just really complicated. But, yeah, it's almost like they have to have two conferences. Yeah, because where they it's bought just like a Western publisher. Square Enix, <laughs> yeah, where it's Square Enix because they wanted to reach out to a Western audience. But like they almost have to have a Square Enix Japan conference, Square Enix um, West. West conference at E3 because that's the only way they're going to fit everything in and make everybody sort of satisfied. But they also want their Japanese, their jrpg fans to like the western i don't know it's just really it's just really hard what they've done to themselves but hopefully it's all ends up okay i don't i didn't mind the guardian like i liked the guardians of the galaxy thing but yeah it it just was a shame that they spent just a little bit too long on it yeah so i think overall my my thoughts for the press conference were not overly positive Mm -hmm. but then i think that's just it's not a Square Enix exclusive thing. I think that's how I felt about E3 in general this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. I haven't really been interested. I liked the summer. I liked the summer games fest, and I liked the fact that that was quick and easy. Gone, done, bye. You know, like it's just that. Like I hate having to wait so long for all of these different press conferences. Yeah, to come and it's on. got to the point now where I just because the press conferences are kind of just underwhelming. I'm not interested no. either. Like I watched a bit of the Ubisoft one and I was like, uh, eh, fine. Like there's not really anything here that's that interesting. Mm-hmm. And but yeah. like, I feel to say that Square Enix, like I, I had hopes because I knew, I guess that's the thing, you know what they have in the pipeline. Yeah. And like Babylon's fall as well. Like, yeah, I just, we can't even like, there's not enough time to get onto that. That's a game that I was really looking forward to. And I, I know and, like, it's one of those things where, I love Platinum Games. I've pretty much loved every single one of the games they've made. That trailer was just not good. Yeah. It just wasn't good. And like, it's just, that's kind of sad. Yeah. And I think that's what just happened with the press conference and what you're saying about Brianna White was saying, like, it's unfortunate, but I guess we are where we are, right? The trailers that they showed and the way they showed off their games during that conference just wasn't good. Yeah. That's not to say they're bad games. They could all end up being really good games. But yeah. the the way they chose to demonstrate that was not effective. Yeah. And I just I just hope that it is just a case of the fact that we are in we are in really crazy times. Yeah. And it's just the best that they could do under the circumstances. It but, does make me yeah. believe that we're gonna have another separate Square Enix event though, because mm-hmm. if Forspoken Forspoken. Mm-hmm. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. Uh, if that's going to be coming out like towards the start of next year or at some point early next year, then they need to do some kind of big reveal for that at some mm-hmm. point because they they showed the same scene again of her yeah. like sitting with the dragon thingy coming behind her. It was and just, like, like sixteen as well is supposed to be coming out. We next gotta year. see that. We are we have a scorecard. We gotta see that five more times in order for us to get our next bit of content from Perspoke. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> we gotta see it at least 10 more times <sighs> in order to get our free extra card dead but yeah oh man all yeah. right i think i think we're gonna wrap things up there intermission will have to wait yes it will we've got a video for intermission going up hopefully this week where i'll be talking about my thoughts about Yuffie and getting to play with her sass. It just reminds me of Creed in the Office. It's like DarylThoughts.org.uk <laughs> <laughs> forward slash DarylThoughts.tm. <laughs> so good. Yes. Yes, I will. Uh, I I enjoyed it. That's my short, short, hot minute take. Mm. I enjoyed it. Mm. Daryl enjoyed yet. a piece of DLC. <laughs> what? What is the world coming to? But I would say that it's because it's the type of DLC we've always said yes. that they should create. Yeah. It's not... They listen to us. It's not essential to the story. But yeah, on that, we are going to wrap things up. Thank you for listening. The next episode of Final Fantasy Union is scheduled to come out on the 29th of June. Be sure to check out all our news coverage on FinalFantasyUnion.com. And if you enjoy what we do, please feel free to support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash FFKHUnion. All right, guys, it's time for us to say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. And I'm Dara saying goodbye. This has been a FinalFantasyUnion.com production.